Hello, and welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, we're going to talk about politics and cognitive science. Ooh, politics and cognitive science. Cool. We're going to talk about how the politics can help us get more funding for cognitive science. That's really important, Ken. <laughs> yeah, but that wouldn't be very philosophical, and that's not our topic, John. We're going to talk about how cognitive science, how the insights of cognitive science can help us understand politics and political decision-making. Well, big deal. I mean, cognitive science is basically the science of thinking. There's no mystery there. We have values. Politicians have positions. The wise voter reads up on the positions, sees which politicians will promote his or her values, and votes accordingly. What's the big deal? Boy, John, you're naive. It's a good thing you're not running for political office and, they're gonna, and are stuck in your ivory tower because you'd never make it. Voters' minds don't work like that. It's not that simple. Ah, uh, what do you mean? Well, suppose a politician says he's in favor of Let's say tax relief. What comes to your mind? Well, that sounds like a great idea, especially right now at tax time. Paying taxes is painful. It makes you lose sleep as well as money. We should be relieved of paying things that are painful. I, I like any politician who's going to relieve my pain. But now look what's happened. Look, look how your thinking, is, thinking has gone. The word relief triggered a slew of associations in your mind. It represented taxation as a kind of affliction like a bad rash or cancer or tuberculosis. It, it evoked a kind of metaphor, taxation as affliction. And your reaction wasn't really that, all that rational because it didn't have anything to do with the real nature of taxation, which is basically about paying the bill for government services that we demand? Well, I guess you've got a point there. Is, is this, is the phrase tax relief, is that what politicians call spin? You could call it that, but it goes deeper than that, at least according to many cognitive scientists. It's about framing. Framing, I've heard of that. Yeah, that has to do with the basic way we think. I mean, words often evoke a whole slew of scenarios in our minds, which come with kind of built-in roles and values. So take the word relief. It suggests this unfair burden. It also suggests a person who is burdened, that's you, the taxpayer, and then a person who is there to relieve the burden, that's, that's the politician. Well, you know, now you mentioned framing, I mean, it's all coming back to me, because uh, in my classes we've studied about how you frame your concept of time in terms of your concept of space. Sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's misleading. I guess uh, the, the relief metaphor is like that. I mean, there is something right about it, but it can be very misleading. Here's another one. I'll just see if I'm any good at this. How about socialized medicine? What does that make me think of? Well, it makes me, it evokes images, uh, frankly, of people in Eastern Europe before the fall of communism standing in line to get a loaf of bread because, you know, the government that controlled the means of production and distribution screwed everything up. And when I think of that with medicine, I think of myself waiting months and months to see my doctor. Who would want that? Yeah, see, now, now we got an irrational response on your part, Ken, because I got sick in France once where they have so-called socialized medicine. I saw a doctor the same day. I spent half an hour looking for where to pay my bill until someone explained to me there wasn't going to be a bill. You know, both of our examples, however, tax relief and socialized medicine, seem to evoke frames that push us towards conservative policies. Don't progressives have any frames they can evoke? Well, you just used one sort of a little bit, the pr word progressive, substituting for the word liberal. But, you know, our guest, George Lakoff, says that the conservative think tanks have really mastered the art of using political language and images to evoke frames. Well, the progressives or liberals have lagged way, way behind. I mean, basically, the Republicans are really good at this, and the Democrats, well, pretty much suck. 
We're going to start our discussion by talking about the general idea of how we think in metaphors and frames. Then we'll move on to the role of the unconscious and metaphorical thought in political decision-making. From then, we'll look at the ethics of framing in politics. Should we teach people to be more rational, or should we teach people to frame things better so they can promote their own values or our own values? But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, gives us a local angle on framing and political decision-making. She files this report. There's three components to, to any campaign. There's message, mechanics, and money. When Democrats around here want to get elected, they hire Jim Ross. He's a political consultant. His job is to know exactly what it takes to get votes. You can have a very compelling message, but if you can't raise money to buy television commercials or buy direct mail, um, it makes it very difficult to get that message out to a wide range of folks. Ross is known for leading Gavin Newsom's successful 2003 mayoral run. It was a narrow race against Green Party candidate Matt Gonzalez. In creating a message for that campaign, Ross made the controversial decision to leave Newsom out of the TV commercials. We used real people uh, um, and, and people that had real expertise in issues to get up and, and speak for him and used those as the messengers to drive the message that we needed to move voters in town. And part of the reason why is that you know, while Gavin Newsom's an extraordinarily articulate, very charismatic politician, we actually found that that was a bit of an issue, that he was too charismatic, he was too good looking, it was too much of that, and we needed to create a base under him that people would understand and, and be compelled by. Poor guy, too good looking to appear in his own TV spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that we would all have that problem. But sometimes the, the obvious choice is the wrong choice. So, you know, the first spot we did was Dr. Pablo Stewart talking about Gavin Newsom's homeless policy. There's nothing progressive about giving money to people for the means that they're going to kill themselves. That is by drug and alcohol overdose. I think Supervisor Newsom's proposals and his leadership as mayor would start to move this process forward. Of course, candidates usually don't have the luxury of simply promoting their own point of view. They have to respond to attacks from their opponents. Even then, Ross says, sometimes the best way to respond is not to. I'll give you an example. Um, we did the Oregon governor's race in 2006, um, and our opponent, Ron Saxton, spent millions of dollars hitting Ted Kulongoski, the governor of Oregon, on taxes and the issue of taxes. He wants to raise your taxes, he wants to raise your taxes, he wants to raise your taxes. We never ran away from that. Governor did want to raise taxes, but we didn't fall into the trap or we didn't fall into the idea that we were going to debate him on that issue. We've added 30,000 children to the Oregon Health Plan. We've added more money into the smart reading program to teach young children to read. And we have done more through Jessica's Law to protect our children. I try to convey to them, the governor of the state is on your side. We picked up the mantle on going after him or, or, or positioning the governor as somebody who shared uh, Oregon's values, that, that people knew what, whose side he was on, who you could, you know, that you could trust him as somebody who was going to look out for you and for your interests. And that was able to overwhelm and to, to uh, inoculate us from that, that tax attack. Ross says this type of advertisement allowed the campaign to reframe the debate on its own terms. There's an old saying in politics, when you're responding, you're losing. So the most important thing, and it always sounds simple, is to run your own campaign. Don't let your opponent run your campaign for you. 
The key is to, to always be defining yourself and driving your messaging forward. That's how you win. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.